0: hey everyone welcome to episode 12 with alec and june and i'm june and my co-host alec here is peachy as ever i'm out of coffee man i might not be that peachy ah that's true that that'll ruin anyone's day but you had one you had a cup this morning right i had a cup yeah just one just one you're are you a one day cupper one cup per day i'm I'm usually a one cup a day guy yeah Yeah. Mm. you know how much i drink Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't tell you. Yeah,
1: maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> How much share coffee this do you drink? You drink enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get some listeners <laughs> to get worried about day. my health
0: potentially. So, anyways, I guess the first thing we'll follow up is uh, <laughs> is a little bit about my career kind of potential change. Really hope nobody from my current company listens to this podcast. I have never advertised it <laughs> nor told anybody <laughs> about it. But Carolina oh, made me no. realize the other day. She was like, hey, you don't have people in your work listening to this, do you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing is, in the last, last just this past week, right, I had a conversation with my director. So this is my boss's 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 boss, right? He calls me into his office. That's a lot of bosses, bro. Yeah, I know. He's That's there's, pretty there's serious. There's two, <laughs> two directors at my, my office, and he's one of them, so... Yeah, wow. there's 500 people, so, yeah. <laughs> about that? Um, But anyways, he called me in his office, and we were usually pretty chill. He was he was one of the people that interviewed me originally. And he just kind of wanted to, you know, say, hey, June, you know, I know this project is getting really rough, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I know sometimes it's hard to see it. And just want to let you know you're doing a good job, yada, yada, yada. and And... He would say things like, you know, we really wouldn't be able to do this without you. You know, you've been a key player, that kind of stuff, right? And then everything he says is like, please stay, right? <laughs> which, uh-huh. which I'm like, what happened? Like, is there someone who listens to my podcast? Like, what happened? The only thing I can think of is I had this call from the other company uh, that I got, uh, you know, when we talked about the offer. And I, it was an offer, so, you know. Took the call right away, and I was at the I was at work, so I took it in a conference room. But this was at like 7 p.m., one of those late night things. The conference uh-huh. room is next to the director's office, but I made sure nobody was in that corridor at all, right? All the offices were empty, and lights were off. So that's one thing. The other thing is, I was taking notes on a sticky note, right, about the offer, and mm-hmm. afterwards, I put that sticky note inside one of my cabinets, in my coffee cabinet, actually, which... When I, I don't want me to always keep it closed, but when I make coffee, I open that cabinet and I go downstairs, in which time I leave that cabinet open. I don't close the cabinet. So, so if anybody was like being real snoopy, they can see that sticky note and it's very obvious, like the things I wrote on it. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's for another job. It's a job yeah, offer. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm just wondering, man, how, or or the director was just like you seem disgruntled recently because I feel like I have been more or less disgruntled. I probably mm-hmm. have been a little maybe came off as maybe just like rude sometimes. But uh I am disgruntled. But yeah, you know, I shared my <laughs> thoughts with him.
1: <them. laughs> I shared my okay, thoughts so with him. So you did talk it's, like you're, you're candid. All right. Yes,
0: I was candid. I did not tell him I was actually, you know, have another job offer. But uh, I did tell him about all the problems I've seen at the company. In you know a little over a year, what I expected the company to be versus what it turned out to be. And also this project. Oh, one of the things he kept saying was, this project I'm on right now is one of the worst projects he's ever seen in his career. Like, it's not like this, you know. And this was a theme I've heard over and over now, in over the last year. It was like, normal projects in this company is not like this. This is like... This is like once one of those like once in a decade type of projects that is just so, you know, obviously he doesn't say poorly managed, but it's poorly managed. And as a result, people are working weekends, long hours, everybody's stressed out. They're not really doing agile, even though they say they are. So there's a big problem with that and with the culture and with how we interact with our users. They're like our clients or... In other words, product owners of all the features we're supposed to deliver. There's such a poisonous relationship there. And it's just not good. I don't really want to work in that kind of environment. I didn't say it quite outright like that, but I just, you know, made it clear that I'm not really comfortable. So anyways, that was one conversation with the uh, director. Now on Thursday, we had a big company party. It was supposed to be the freaking Christmas party, Christmas New Year party from last year, but he pushed it out. And you know why he pushed out the party? because we had a release we had a freaking software release <laughs> that like he he moved it because he wanted people to finish the work first it's just like you know it sounds silly or trivial but this is the kind of stuff that i'm like no if you want like people to stay and be happy you don't take booze away from people that you promised them so that you make them work more you know what i mean like are you kidding me? This is this is the exact opposite of what you should be doing to boost morale. Anyways, so that was one thing. And then at the party, though, a senior manager came up to me. It was like, June, talk to me. You look, you look, uh, you know, you, you don't look really happy. He's like, how's it going? Talk to me. Talk to me. Talk to me. Um, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa, lady. <laughs> oh,
1: man, they're, they're, they're pulling the, the full court press on you right now. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's been detected. I think we either have a snitch or they can just tell. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
0: So anyway, she, she's also just like trying to convince me now I will notice the funny, the one funny thing she said was, I told her the main thing is, you know, I want more family, you know, time with my family, uh, work life balance. Right. Um, (laughs) and she's like yeah she nods very understandably and then she says yeah june it's like projects like these you know and sometimes for your own career like it's hard and she starts telling me about her own career like how her husband um so she they used to live in jersey and her husband would work from like five to nine you know 5 a.m to 9 p.m in in the city new york city wow and she was the one that had to like Take the kids to school, pick them up, make dinner, put them to bed, and all this stuff without her husband's help and and she had a full time job so all this time where she was she was sort of like beaten to death while the husband doesn't have any time with the kids, and she says and this is all for her trying to like Get me to stay. She's trying to convince me, like, oh, this is like a tough time. Like, you have to make some sacrifices, but it'll get, it'll get better. And I can keep telling, I can keep, <laughs> I keep noticing her saying, like, she would say, like, yeah, I thought it would never end. This is like verbatim. She says, like, and I thought those six years would never end. And then she, it's almost like six she got, years. it's almost like she got that's lost. significant. It's almost like she got lost in her little like anecdotal like conversation, right? And then, and then I can see like her eyes all of a sudden looked at me again, and she's like. Oh, but looking back, I think um, I think that was a good sacrifice, you know. <laughs> and I was like, "Are you kidding me? You just you just spent the last five minutes talking about how how much of a nightmare you had to go through for six years. Like this is exactly why I don't want to stay here. <laughs> you're, you're not making a very yeah. good case for me staying." <laughs> wow.
1: So I was at a conference the last two days, and one thing that was said in a panel discussion that I think is worth talking about in this uh, at this moment. Is just because your boss chose a lifestyle, we were talking about the lifestyle of responding to email and availability and all that kind of thing, does not mean as an employee, you need to also live that lifestyle. Just understanding that even though you might have a, a manager that's always on 24-7 thinking about work, that doesn't require you to do the same. And if that is something they require of you, that is a conversation worth having of how you don't want to line up that way. And I thought that was really interesting because one thing I've even said in my personal life is we have these mobile devices that are awesome because you can reach out to someone anywhere you are. But doesn't mean you should. And I think that's something we've lost in the last few years is the idea of time that you're not available. And just because you know that that po- phone is probably in their right, you know, jean pocket doesn't mean that you can just call them and expect them to pick up and and talk to you at that moment. It used to be, I don't know, far more, I guess, formal of an occasion. You had to be home. You had to be not cooking dinner because it was tethered to a wall, you know? <laughs> um, and there's just, I, I sometimes feel like our personal time is violated and it doesn't need to be that way. So I'm trying to get a little bit more mindful of when I let people into my life, when I reply back to things and even though I see something right away and I could reply right away I've been trying to slow myself down so I don't create that persona of being the person that always replies back immediately
0: yeah I've never been in a job where the manager is constantly calling me texting me for things over the weekend and after work until I've had this job right and Mm -hmm. I gotta say I really don't like it even if it's minor and he knows like every time he calls me or text me. He's like June. I'm so sorry for reaching out to you right now, but blah 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 blah. blah. You know, I need so and so. Yeah. It's like, Haha, right? You're you're real sorry. You know. Um, <laughs> um. So, he's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong. Like he he's actually one of the better managers. I think I think given the project I have, I could have had a much worse manager. He's honestly probably the only reason why I've even been around still for the last six months. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So anyways, actually, it was funny. You, you talk about phone numbers and reaching out to people. Uh, one of the guys that I used to work with, he was my atheist buddy that uh, I would I would have, like, philosophical lunch conversations with him. But he was my, like, good friends. Um, and we'll, we'll grab a few beers now, here, now and then, too. But um, he... Had a uh, let's see, he had a cell phone, but it was a flip phone. It was not a smartphone. He refused to get a smartphone. And whenever he was asked to provide a phone number, cell number for work, so like people can reach out to him, he would always give mm-hmm. a fake number. Um, and like, and <laughs> he had no shame. Yeah, yeah, he had no like guilt at all. Which I'm like, what a badass, you know? Like, I don't care. Here, <laughs> here's some stupid number so he made it a priority you know that's the kind of thing that um he prioritized i really like that and unfortunately he's not he left a while ago there's been a slew of people leaving there's another employee that left recently yeah it's just it's not very it's Hmm. not very good we're we just hired someone but we're still missing like two or three open positions anyways two oh, okay. two other things two other because i'm trying to talk about like you know signs right i've been seeing right signs pointing me one way or the other mostly mostly one way <laughs> aka the okay. the way going out <laughs> out the door the other sign was um so at that same happy hour i was at a table and we we're chatting with um, a bunch of people one of these guys he's like the he's like an architect and he, he was talking about his kids and at some point he talks about his 22 year old and i was like oh does he you know is he like are all of them out out of the house and he says oh no the 22 year old still still lives with me but he just got a job at so-and-so and And the so-and-so is the same company that i'm currently looking at right and he's like yeah and he he like (laughs) makes almost as much as i do and he just graduated (laughs) Ah. yeah and and it was so funny because as you and everybody else at the table was like oh yeah i heard so many good things about that place and yeah you know and one guy one guy um so was, this guy was uh he was like yeah they've been reaching out to me in linkedin a lot and then as he's saying this his manager is also at the table right so his manager's like mm-hmm. stop everybody stop <laughs> change the <conversation. laughs> and i'm just that's
1: hysterical i know right and you have an offer
0: (laughs) i'm just sitting here i I didn't say a word and i was like just kind of like oh boy this is gonna be funny talk about you know signs
1: (laughs) i will say i'm in a very awkward spot right now where as cool as it would be to work together again um i've never had personal responsibility for someone's workplace happiness i feel like because you're you are already gainfully employed and we, we've we discussed that you're not necessarily happy right now, but I'm like basically saying, oh, it's a great place. You'll have a great time. Like I'm like betting that you're going to like it. And, but like, then I hope you actually do. <laughs> and I'm a little nervous if you actually do take it. Like I, there's been other people that have gotten jobs, like for instance, our, our buddy Thomas based off like my recommendation saying, oh, you know, it's a good place. Um, but at least they weren't already in the field. Like that was like kind of their first crack. <laughs> so I don't feel as bad. I'm a little nervous about it, but I think it will work out really well. If it's anything like my experience, it'll be really well received.
0: Yeah, I think, and that really is like my number one sign that I'm getting, like the last but not least sign, which is everybody who I've talked to about this is like, oh my gosh, so-and-so company, you know, like I've only heard good things about it. You should take the offer. In fact, like there's this one friend, I kind of trust her a lot for advice and I started telling her, but I didn't I didn't mention the organization's name for the longest time. And she's kind of like thinking like, yeah, you know, maybe you should look at other offers, you know, because I was telling her how normally when I make a big decision, like changing a job, going to a different company, I'm normally, I normally like have many options lined up. So I'm making a good choice. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is the only option, right? Because I wasn't actively looking. And now this opportunity popped up. I don't have the time now to go look at other offers if I actually want to consider this offer. So the funny thing is she's very understanding, nodding along. And then when I told her the company, she was like, oh my God, take it. She's like, don't look elsewhere anywhere else.
1: (laughs) (laughs) These are awesome things to hear. So I I just posted on social media not too long ago, uh, kind of reflecting that I've never been more proud to work at this place because I just went to this conference where two of our... Uh, executives gave keynote presentations and countless, like I would say almost half, if not half of the panels held for the conference were run by our employees. We dominated this conference and it was awesome. Like it was one of the best experiences I've had at a conference just because I was loving going to my coworkers talks, many of which I've never met before. And also, hearing our leadership, and I, I had heard good things about one of them in particular, and she was great. But I had never heard of this other person, and she was a rock star, absolutely hilarious, engaging. Everyone was on the edge of their seat during her keynote address, and that's hard to do. Everyone was like waiting on her bated breath. Every last person was captured by it, and she got a standing ovation. Like <laughs> it was awesome.
0: Was this the sweet Conference?
1: Yeah, it was. It was a, the We Local Conference. It was just a really great time. One of the the keynote speakers yesterday was saying she has a really good friend. And when they were working together, she was encouraged not to. When they were working together, they would always help each other. Even if they were interviewing for the same position, they would help each other interview so they both put their best foot forward. And they never worried who actually got the position. And a lot of people told them that they can't have this alliance. Like, you can't, like, this will never work. It's going to only get bitter. You know, you can't, you can't always do this. Like, it's not, it's unsustainable being so good friends and and letting each other compete that way. And she's like, they were wrong. I think they were afraid of what we could accomplish together. Like, we we both have done really well for ourselves. We've never particularly been upset that the other did something before we did because we knew at the end of the day they had our backs. It all worked out in the end. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too. Because if you just make a bunch of friends and not enemies (laughs) and they're succeeding, that probably will help you in the long run. (laughs) Like, that's... (laughs) A good way to do well is to have people that respect you everywhere.
0: Right. And I think in a position of leadership is... It, it was always like the mantra. It was like, what's the difference between a manager and a leader? Well, um, and the thing that was I feel like often said was a leader is, a, you know, is someone who cares about the development of the person, right? So he's not just mm-hmm. like managing a project, but he's developing the people. And ultimately, a leader wants to see his team personally succeed, right, in their own careers, like his team members. Yeah. Um, and if that means succeeding beyond whatever they could ever achieve, then great great for that person and that's a good reflection of you as a leader if you can help people do that so and those people will not forget about you that but that comes afterwards after the fact right so i always thought that was you know that's solid you know i i've heard that a million times but it's easier said than done a lot of times when you're actually in a leadership role your day-to-day could just be like trying to put out fires and you know and a lot of times you forget like oh i'm supposed to like help these people. That's one of the problems I see at my current company right now. So we could talk about another topic.
1: So one of the things I've been thinking a lot about recently, part- partially because of the news and partially because it's a, a topic that's been important for many years is the idea of green energy and how we convert our nation to more sustainable energy, particularly with global warming heating up, so to speak. And I don't know if you saw the reports, but basically some scientists came and they said, we're not trying to be political here. We're talking about global warming, but a lot more ice has melted <laughs> than we anticipated <laughs> in, the, uh, in the Arctic. So draw out what you will. And also, I think the, most, the five most hot years have been the five last years or something crazy like that in history. So it's, it's becoming a real crisis. And a lot of uh, scientists are saying we don't have much time to stall these effects or reverse them. If that is a goal, which is probably a good goal for the sustainability of the earth. Um, (laughs) So one thing I was thinking is like, what would this kind of policy look like? And what are the trade-offs? What role do EVs have in this transition? And just kind of talk through it because it's a complicated problem. Even if you extract lobbyists and vested interests that are clearly don't want this change to happen, it's a complicated, nuanced policy problem.
0: I feel like my role in this conversation may be a bit more of like a devil's advocate because I do I do find conversations about what, what makes it complex. What is the conservative side saying? What are the, you know, I think you're probably going to have more of a pro-renewable energy kind of perspective, but I'll probably add a, a few things about arguments from the other side.
1: So one thing I've thought about is how would you do an EV transition. Because that seems like the the technology that's the closest. Hydrogen fuel cells, they're interesting, but it seems as though that's not coming. Um, Not at the rate of an EV. And I had the thought of just saying, you know what, in five years time, no more gas cars, period. But that has a lot of issues, obviously. And then I thought, Well, then you could always do the no more gas cars allowed to be sold, which is more gradual. But then the question is, is that enough? Will a a transition happen fast enough? Or is that too late, too little, too late? And it has to be more dramatic and more painful in a way. And then, of course, there's the problem of accessibility of this technology and people who are in poverty being able to afford getting a new vehicle. Because at this point, any electric vehicle would be a new vehicle. But I also think that might be an opportunity, now that I'm talking about it, for innovation because no one's really creating a low-cost electric vehicle. And yes, it would have trade-offs, smaller range than you're normally comfortable with. But people might have to actually look at their patterns and realize that smaller range is acceptable for them. Like it's an acceptable trade-off for the economy of it. And uh, I think that's actually a really interesting topic because I think a lot of people always talk about being able to drive a road trip. And then I ask them. How many road trips are you taking? <laughs> like, this is, this is not a concern. If you are well-to-do enough to drive far away on a road trip, perhaps you could also rent a vehicle for that road trip that can get you there rather than having that be your everyday driver with that kind of range. I think it's something that's worth talking about because you could buy a car with much smaller range that fits your daily needs Potentially for much cheaper, because that's the cost of the vehicle, is the battery, in many ways. That's a lot of the cost of the vehicle. Anyhow. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that we've had this issue for many, many years, but just now, are we really trying, like, I feel like it's starting to get to a fever pitch. There's enough things going on, and enough uh, restlessness, that maybe something will happen. So I think it's worth talking about, and seeing where we might go, and, and what we think might be a good way of rolling it out, and approaching the policy behind it. I have a few thoughts on these two. I guess touching on something you just mentioned, which
0: is, you know, low-cost EVs, part of it is innovation, part of it is the economics of producing EV, but I think a huge part of it is infrastructure too. Even if you could sell a $20,000 electric vehicle with say a 100-mile range, right? Sure, 100 miles is plenty of range for your average person, I think, and $20,000 is amongst, you know, it's, it's a low cost car for the United States, at least. The problem is, though, people in the lower income, they're likely renters, right? Where are they going to charge their car? Most apartments, places like that, they may have a couple electric charging spots, but, and those are probably more the fancier apartment buildings that have EV parking and charging stations. But I think that's a, pretty big problem too is is the support infrastructure wise for lower income people to use evs i don't don't know how much like innovation i don't think is it needs to happen just at the car and technology level but at the entire holistic level that includes infrastructure supporting evs for people who don't have a garage or outlets and things like that I mean, if you're thinking about making a really cheap EV that even, say, has, like, I don't know, 50-mile range, then that really requires charging it every night. And I feel like that's going to be tricky unless something dramatically happens to the charging infrastructure. The whole road trips thing, yeah, I think that's a dumb argument. I think that the more important argument is, for me, in my opinion, is... How do you support having that? I mean, the hydrogen fuel cell for the same reason is like even more so is infrastructure. How the heck are you going to recharge your car with hydrogen? And it's just like, that is even (laughs) way less common than, you know, electric charging stations. The other thing I want to talk about is like, it's kind of the argument from the other side. I've heard a lot of people say, Oh, but the battery, what's up with the battery? This thing has a lot of chemicals and all kinds of like rare earth metals that, You know, it's also it's not renewable, right? That's gonna run out. And a lot a lot of parts of a battery cannot be recycled. That's another huge component as well. And there's there's all these like videos too of like battery Tesla battery land wastes (laughs) landfills. And they're like they're like super toxic. Yeah. It's almost as toxic as dumping like used plutonium and stuff like that. It's like the acids and all the stuff used. It's yeah, it's highly toxic. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. And then there's another, there's a follow-up question, which is in general, why electric? In other words, some Mm -hmm. people say, well, using an electric battery doesn't mean that you're somehow promoting greener energy. I mean, your energy source, depending on the state you live in and the locality, could still be a coal-fired power plant. could be a natural gas, whatever. So that one I do find kind of like, if you have like an engineering type of mindset, it wouldn't be that... It would be very easy to see why, because I think we think of things from an architectural standpoint as, as systems, right, and i don 't know in my head i 'm thinking well a battery if you if you change your car to be a battery powered car you 're essentially eliminating the direct dependency of your vehicle, an end user to the actual energy production. in other words, you 've eliminated one link of of direct dependency on the coal energy. Right, and you're sort of mm-hmm. abstracting the end using the technology of the end user away from whatever fuel source is needed. And actually, one of the best things you can do from an like an architectural perspective, like make the end user technology completely agnostic to any kind of power source. And in the future, use whatever the heck you want. And the goal is then, hey, maybe if you reduce enough direct demand, direct dependency for fossil fuels, then that'll naturally help help it be used less. So yeah, kind of curious about your thoughts on those two things.
1: So from an infrastructure perspective, I think that's a place where innovation will be necessary because it takes longer than a few minutes to charge a battery. So I think a differentiator will be, and I'm already starting to see this, is let's say grocery stores have electric charging spots. So as you grocery shop, your car is getting charged. Grocery shopping is a thing everyone's doing. You could be impoverished or or well-to-do. You have to go grocery shopping, right? And that takes time. I guess if you're well-to-do, someone else can do it for you. But you know, you're catching my drift. And that is uh, a, an operation that happens frequently enough that you might be able to make that a node of charging potential. Because I think it's going to have to be because it's a real problem. I thought about this myself. I can't have an EV in my current setup because i park on the street and there's no, uh, there's no outlets and my work doesn't have any outlets. So I actually would not be a good candidate for an EV at all. It'd be a huge hindrance in my life at this moment. So I understand that these, these problems are are real problems that need to be tackled. And I'm not saying, you know, this whole green energy topic, it's, it's natural to go towards EVs and talk about electric vehicles and that could be a a huge solution. But it's not the whole thing. You were saying that at the end of the day, your electricity might be coming from coal or natural gas. And that's just taking the initiative to create greener plants, retire those technologies and those uh, ways of creating energy. Which, of course, is a problem from a jobs perspective. But I'd argue if you retrain them for the new jobs in that area, that they're probably better paying and more sustainable, so that's okay. And it, all this costs money. It's expensive. It's very expensive to do this. But it's one of those things that I always preach about are long-term investments. And there's no better long-term investment right now, I think, than green energy. Because without it, it looks like we're heading towards uh, a very bad place for our planet, where it won't matter anymore. <laughs> you know? You have to have a inhabitable planet for things to be okay and it, uh, the thing that frustrates me the most is the biggest city in the united states could be underwater in a relatively soon amount of time that's that's something no one's talking about that Manhattan could just flood <laughs> that's not good that, that we should not be okay with that and we do a lot to worry about terrorism in this country <laughs> the terrorist is water like, <laughs> well, they built too many damn you
0: skyscrapers know? on that little piece of land. It's freaking heavy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the terrace is water. It's coming for you. You know, water and gravity can really mess you up.
0: I know, but just to be clear, you're talking about ice caps melting, raising the water level, right? Right. I was being, yeah. I was being facetious about too many skyscrapers weighing the island down. No, I but, know.
1: No. Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> no, I. I know what you were saying. I got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, that's a, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of crazy we're not thinking about this more. And particularly like all the cold we've been experiencing in the Northeast. And, and similarly, the in Chicago, it's unreal how cold it is there. So, okay, that's, that's the infrastructure problem. I think it's going to take, it's not going to look the way it looks today, period. And again, like full disclosure, I don't have all the answers. I haven't studied this stuff forever, but it's worth... I think talking about and trying to suss out because if we don't try to talk about it and make it more of a part of a dialogue, it's not going to get fixed. The battery problem. Yeah, batteries are dirty and I candidly do not have a solution for that. I feel like we're always right on the brink of a battery breakthrough. I feel like as long as I've been covering technology and like thinking about technology, we've always been on the edge of a, of a battery breakthrough with more capacity and more recharge cycles, and I really haven't seen it. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I don't know. We could also, we could run ourselves into a corner there as well. But I definitely think it's a lesser of two evils at this point.
0: I think it's one of the reasons why I think I really want to see something like hydrogen vehicles really becoming actually popularized and commonplace more so than EVs. Because I don't really know about the hydrogen technology in terms of like, you know, the batteries required and and whatnot. But I mean, if you're putting a little the actual power plant inside of a vehicle that is by nature then generating the energy you need on demand, you're essentially eliminating the electricity storage piece of the, the equation, right? Yep. And thus, you you do reduce the amount of batteries that are needed. You may need smaller batteries. Maybe, maybe like, you might still need a battery, but they would certainly probably be much smaller in terms of capacity. You don't have to store 300 miles worth of capacity of electricity, which, yeah, will require a big-ass battery. But if you make a little power plant in the car, take a little water, take a little hydrogen, (laughs) ba-bam. Although, that said, maybe storing hydrogen isn't, cheap or clean either i don't know i don't really know how that that piece of it is done but i just know storing electricity is very hard with batteries anyways that's that's one of the interesting things i was thinking about too is like hmm why is there such a dependency on batteries and it's because you know it's we need a plate a way to store the energy none of our cars don't produce the energy but what if they did
1: I'm actually kind of curious to see if that would be a way to centralize power production. Centralize or
0: decentralize?
1: That's what I meant. Sorry, yeah, decentralize, because everyone would have a um, a vehicle, presumably, that has hydrogen power, and then you're able to just charge that up, and it can run in the. Yeah, house.
0: exactly, exactly. I mean, think about think about like a combustion engine, right? A gas, petroleum engine. It is its own little power plant. It is actually or a, decentralized. or a generator. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing is you're just storing oil and then you're producing the power on demand as needed. It's it's like I don't. I feel like there's uh, the level in terms of like how, when, and where the ba- the energy is produced. I actually like that model better than having a capacity. Right, having a limited capacity where the car cannot itself produce power. I don't know. I feel like there's some way to like. <laughs> Keep the model of petroleum <laughs> petroleum vehicles, but change the fuel source entirely. That would be great.
1: This goes back to my other thing that rattles around in my brain all the time, which is the idea of autonomous vehicles and decentralization of ownership because you would not need to own an autonomous a vehicle. Yeah. And then you would have far less redundancy of batteries laying around if you went that solution. I think the interesting part about where we are in history is is there's a lot of different vectors that could lead to a good outcome, and but none of them are there yet. And I think it's the classic time where you actually invest in all of them and you let you see what happens, right? I think it's a really great investment. I'm, I'm thinking right now of the iPhone, right? Internally in Apple, there were two projects, P1 and P2. And one of them was based off of the iPod and one of them was placed off of Mac OS. And it turns out, We got the one with Mac OS, even though it was a more ambitious project, and they didn't know if it would come out in time, and it wasn't always the game plan, but because they tried it, and it it happened and accelerated faster, that's how we got what we got in 2007. And I think it's time for us to do that from an energy perspective. I think we have to be okay with being wrong about one of our bets in order to be right about something.
0: Well, so this bet making and investment making, what do you see that happening? Like from where? Are we talking about government mandates? Are we talking about private sector investments in technology? Like what, you know, what's going to motivate these private companies to do this? Or is this kind of investment and innovation necessarily coming from the government?
1: I don't know if the government, well, I don't think the government has the architecture set up to do this. It'd have to be incentivizing and enabling private industry because there are private industries looking into these kinds of renewable energies. I don't know if they have enough support in a way. And this is an interesting problem too, because even if you have a renewable energy, let's say like you crack the code and you have a solution and you're ready to scale it, right? Everything's ready. You still have a lot of legalese paperwork to actually get everything deployed. And I think we could be proactive about that now and start changing policies now so that when something up appears, uh, some some new prospect appears, we're able to move quickly into actual deployment and not have to figure out that step next. That's a very big policy problem that I don't know if, if that's currently addressed.
0: Yeah. Well, you talk about incentivizing private industry, but man, how do you out-incentivize big oil? <laughs> For the private sector, the, the one of the main things is, is that they do have shareholders. They care about profit. They care about costs. And with the technology where it is today, with the decades of experience in making cars that run off of gas, just seems like very hard for a private industry. I mean, unless you're someone like Elon Musk or I don't know, but the, those don't happen too often. I mean, you see cars, though. You do see car companies nowadays shifting towards giving themselves target dates, right? 2020 and there's going to be like 20% of Mm -hmm. our fleet's going to be electric vehicles, you know, or something like that. And I get that, that, that's a good step forward. I mean, do you think that's enough though? Or do you think you don't think it's happening fast enough?
1: I think the issue is that we're giving people a choice. Many years ago they had a mandate of more cars being more fuel efficient, right? Like the average fuel efficiency to go up. And I think a similar mandate about, having cars be electric for instance is important but it, it can't be 80% it probably does need to be 100% and one of the big issues is like semi trucks but Tesla's working on that and i think that can be a solved problem
0: i don't know i don't see i don't see that happening if you if a government mandates a government's going to have to do something i feel like Government mandates, let's say you take something very aggressive, right? Government says 100% of all vehicles on the road or, or are being sold, at least, have to be electric vehicles or some form of, you know, non-fossil fuel vehicle, you know, in five years. The problem is in five years, there's no way that's going to happen. And, thus, and, and whatever, you know, non-fossil fuel cars that will be sold are still going to be very expensive. I doubt they're still they're still not going to make $20,000 cars with, you know, the infrastructure we're talking about unless the government pitches in. And what I mean by that is just subsidies, right? If a government keeps up, like, federal government credits, right, subsidies for electric vehicles or they mm-hmm. – uh, what's that one company that's putting up all the superchargers if the government helps them to expand the infrastructure – I mean, heck, like cities, municipalities, if if you want to see charging stations at your local grocery store, who's
1: going to pay for it? One thing I wrote in our notes, and I think this is important in a lot of aspects, is if we don't start with audacious goals, then you probably won't meet the line of the minimal viable product. So that's kind of where when we talk about these things, I think it's important to be as bold as you can be and then dial it back rather than trying to think small.
0: I don't know if I, hmm, I have mixed feelings about this. I understand where you're coming from, but I feel like at the national dialogue level, I think that is potentially to the detriment of the green energy movement because when you say bold, audacious goals, right? Bodacious goals. (laughs) Um, Like, I guess I'm just thinking of like, you know, where's the national discourse? And a lot of times it's because of we're, it's like black and white things arguments are often now black and white and when you when you have goals that are too far to one side, the other side doesn't see it as an actual willingness to compromise or to actually you know come to a bipartisan agreement Does that make sense like if you're kind of just saying yeah. I want you mm-hmm. know Everything that's green and no more, you know, fossil fuels. I mean, and this is where I was c- going to get to about, you know, the other side of the argument is that, well, the people who do work in towns that are 100% economically driven by coal, right? What are they going to do? You're going to have to train them. You're going to have to displace them. You're going to have to do all these things, right? Right. I mean, flip that on yourself. Do you?
1: Do you have to displace them?
0: I mean, what what would you do? Well, it depends on what you're going to do with them, right?
1: I mean, if you train them up for the next-door neighbor plant.
0: Next-door neighbor I mean, plant. I is that totally unreasonable?
1: What? Like, if you were to create, let's say, a uh, a nuclear facility, could you just do that nearby? I guess that you have the issue of being near water. Yeah, the, uh, right. I mean, like to
0: do. I think that's a little easier said than done. I, I feel like... I feel like you cannot, you, it's probably a little impractical to set up shop a completely new industry in every single coal town and oil mining town. I doubt that's feasible, but regardless, I feel like people who hear an argument that is that does not address even their slightest bit of concerns, I feel like that's how we're not getting anywhere.
1: So... I want to just say this. I don't disagree with where you're getting at. We have to have a plan for these workers. The The worst thing we could do is disrupt a whole industry, not provide jobs for it, and make people in a worse place. That's an unacceptable answer to this problem, in my opinion. You have to have a solution that takes care of all these facets, which makes it complicated and difficult. And expensive. That being said, it's going to be expensive. And that's just we we did this to ourselves, though. I, I, I people who are acting like this is not a problem are in denial, and at the, eventually, you know, we have to say as a country we we done goofed. <laughs> we we went down this train for far too long, and now it's going to be extremely expensive to turn it around. Do you learn from that mistake? Hopefully, and does it suck for the generation that we're currently in? Yes, but that's the thing I guess that bothers me the most is I don't think this is a partisan issue. I think if you look at it, it's pretty clear the path we're on is unsustainable and it is not just unsustainable for generation far out. It's unsustainable for our children today. So it's not future person's problem. It's, it is someone you know's problem already, probably even yourself. So we can't, Keep kicking the can for someone else to worry about it. And it's time for us to grow up as a country and say, we need to find a solution. And that's why I like having these conversations with you, June. I, I think the biggest thing we do on this show is talk about ideas that need to be talked about. Just so like, hopefully someone else will think about it. Maybe they'll start a dialogue because they heard it on the podcast with someone they know. And it'll just be like a, a, an earworm and become more and more of a topic of conversation because that's how we solve problems by talking about them and making it more and more in the front of our thoughts. I think it's going to take leadership um, from from our government to say, this is where we are. This is what's going on. And we're going to try and and fix things. And we, we have to give ourselves permission to make mistakes along the way because it's a very difficult process. But... You have to consider everyone with the jobs. You have to consider the future of the country, the world. It's going to be a very interesting dialogue, and I'm really curious to see where it goes, just because it's getting really urgent. And something will happen. There will be a watershed moment, no pun intended, where something will probably happen that will wake us up. And it might be sooner rather than later.
0: Well, most people will probably say that's just when you run out of fuel, (laughs) when you run out of fossil fuels.
1: That's not gonna happen first though.
0: You think something else will happen before that?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be the first shoe to drop. You know, there's a lot of talk about walls. The biggest wall that we need to be worried about right now is like a wall in New York, like I was saying. <laughs> <Build> <laughs> to that stop wall. the water. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Like and they're already doing these things.
0: These these dang water immigrants becoming terrorists. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is serious though. It's like it's like a huge issue, man. Number one city in the country and you're just like boom, water problem. I think that's probably a lot closer than we want to recognize. And like they're in in Miami, they're like doing like beach reconstruction to stop the water. That's a thing.
0: I don't know too much about climate change at the moment, but I wonder if even if you could 100% cut off fossil fuel burning, reduce the amount of CO2 going up in the atmosphere I wonder if that is enough. You probably need several other measures to reduce the greenhouse effect still, right? If anything, you keep it where it's at, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I feel like, wouldn't you still need something else?
1: Plant some trees. <laughs>
0: Plant some more trees. <laughs> Plant yeah. lots of trees. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to do a quick quick quiz here. Um, what is the company, or company, what is the country that produces the most amount of renewable energy in the world i
1: mean isn't it in our notes so
0: uh, (laughs) i ruined it Uh, sorry buddy that's what happens when we share our notes Um, (laughs) yeah three times as much china produces three times almost three times as much renewable energy as the united states i was sort of surprised but not really they produce, let's see, it's, wow, 618,000 megawatts. That's a lot of power. And that's renewable energy. It sounds yeah, like a lot of power. No, I'm I'm impressed. Mm. I mean, I got to say, like, that's yeah, good for them. They do have a lot more, I think, energy demand than the U.S., but still. It's just funny to see all these other. So this is a world uh, renewable energy capacity report I'm looking at and it lists almost i don't know if it's every country but it, it seems to be every country in the world and how much of their how much renewable energy that they're producing and it's just funny to see all these countries with like single digit megawatt numbers <laughs> and then it, and then it's by it's over the last like mm-hmm. decade right so you're seeing over the last 10 years how it's changed and it is really interesting mm-hmm. asia has gone up three times as much over the last decade, which is pretty awesome. So you've got this one country, China, that produces more renewable energy power than most continents. And that's, wow, that's phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I guess that's a good way to look at it. I mean, if the U.S. is second in doing a third of it, you could probably even say potentially China is doing more energy than the rest of the world combined, potentially. Uh,
0: not quite. There's a lot of countries.
1: I mean, there are a lot of countries, but like, I don't know how how dramatic the curve is. There's a little over 2 million megawatts produced by the whole world, right?
0: China is 618,000. So, you know. That's decently close. uh, That's, That's still wild. Maybe a third. A third of the world's power, you know, comes from China, which is pretty neat, of renewable power.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's pretty remarkable that one country is doing a third of it. Do you have any closing thoughts on this?
0: I think, I mean, just closing thoughts. I think you're right. Uh, I think we do need more dialogue about this on both sides. I heard a good NPR show about it. It was actually this woman who was like this diehard conservative who had a, there was like this conference, it was like a retreat and they actually brought together people from two opposing sides, right? And had this retreat focused on like essentially dialogue out of that retreat it was these two friends like this friendship was formed between these two women one was like your I mean they were basically your kind of model liberal and model conservative and now they're like really good friends they were both basically saying you know what I didn't change my perspective and my point of view but they certainly understood a lot more now about the other side and they have much more compassion and Understanding, right? It's whatever solution that has to go out there. It has to be, in my opinion, it, you know, it has to be both sides. It has to be worked on by both sides. And yeah, it's not going to be easy. I mean, I, I, I wonder what that monumental event is going to be that you know is going to force everybody. I personally feel like unless New York City goes underwater or is it the danger of going underwater, it's just going to be prices of oil if if once we actually start depleting the the oil supply i mean we're gonna see just the hand of the market making a change but you're saying is something could something sooner will happen and that could be very well true but kind of curious to see how that'll that'll go
1: you can artificially make that happen by taxing co2 consumption but that is a uh, very unpopular policy yeah, um,
0: <laughs> not in this country of, of freedom and liberty.
1: <laughs> so, June, I did start a business last week.
0: Yeah, don't say. Yeah, tell me about it.
1: Yeah, I'm doing uh, podcast editing right now, but I like to think of the, the venture currently as a podcast production full service, if, if necessary. So if a client came to me and said, hey, I want to start a podcast doing XYZ, I don't have a domain name, I don't have the infrastructure, uh, I don't know how to edit, I could do the full stack for them. I could create the, the setup logo, all that kind of stuff, and then edit the podcast for them. And I have one client right now that I'm editing for. They already have their infrastructure. Yeah, I created the LLC mainly because I know it's important when you run a business to keep these finances separate for tax purposes. And in Maryland, at least, setting up an LLC is actually fairly inexpensive. It costs $200 and uh, then you're done. So Amp Creative Studios is the name. And I have the domain ampcreative.studio. No S because that's how the TLDs work. But I kind of did that for a variety of reasons. I made the LLC not just like for tax purposes to write things off, although I hear a lot of these write-offs are gone in the new tax bill, so I'll have to see how that works, navigate that. But also for like a liability perspective, that's the whole point of an LLC, Limited Liability Corporation. The idea is if someone were to try to sue your company, which would be a very fascinating suit for podcast production, but I digress, they couldn't come after all my personal assets. They could only go after what the company has. So it's a way to protect yourself from uh, getting sued if someone were to sue your company. But yeah, it's actually a pretty straightforward process. You can do all the forms online, pay for it online, and I got approved in less than 24 hours. Awesome. Yeah. I know it's not as easy in other states, and there's some benefits in setting up in one state versus another. I will say something that's been fascinating to me is the differences between business accounts and personal accounts for banking. Like, for instance, my bank ally does not do business accounts. And there's like a lot of different functions of business accounts you have to look into, like how many transactions you can do, cash limits, all that stuff. And I was like, really? <laughs> it's not just a bank account. <laughs> like, of course it's not that simple. Yeah. Nothing's ever simple for some reason. I don't know who set up these uh these institutions, but like it's fascinating all these requirements. So, anyhow, I that's something I need to do today. Hopefully, is uh, suss out which bank I'm going to go with and open an account. And I have to do my ENI number oh. or EIN number and all those things. Yeah. it's start up an LLC for podcast editing. So anyone listening to this podcast, who wants to start a podcast, come to this guy and I'll edit it for you.
0: He does a great job. He does our podcast,
1: <laughs> which yeah. Yeah. I have two <laughs> clients. One of them gets it for free. <laughs> and the other one pays for it. And I actually, ever since I started this initiative, I actually had a couple people reach out to me about making a podcast. And I'm like, I kind of charged for this as of a week ago, so I don't know if I can talk to you. We could do maybe a free consultation, but I'm not not spilling the crown jewels anymore.
0: Well, cool, man. What were some of the, I guess, biggest drivers for wanting to do an LLC for you? I mean, was it just the tax incentives or was it um, because, you know, you could just kind of do your own sort of, well, I'm going to, I don't know, have a little side gig it doesn't have to necessarily be an official business. You know what I mean? Or does it have to be an official business?
1: Well, this is a long-term play, right? So I'm looking at it from a perspective. Of this is a, a side business I'd like to build up and potentially also be the vehicle for any app development I do in the future. And because it only costs $200 to set up this this system and for like the liability perspective, even again, like I don't understand how I could possibly get sued for editing podcasts, but let's say in a world like yeah it's it, it just seemed like like yeah don't get me wrong if there are ways that i can uh write off things i'm already doing for tax stuff that's good but at the end of the day i just did it because it was a pretty low-cost thing it's a little bit more official because for instance people can write checks to your business rather than to me as a person so it is like looks more official right it'd be like oh you write your check to amp creative studios and they pay me eventually yeah yeah <laughs> right like it just looks more official and it's not too much extra work. Uh, and like I said, it's a long-term play. I plan on having this for a very long time and just to have it set up to be a little bit more official and more proper. So next steps is uh, working on getting a logo done and and proper branding and eventually I'll make a website. I'm not really worried about the website until I have the branding. I want to make a, a post about it and like kind of advertise that this is a thing soon, but I'm having difficulty summarizing what it is I'm trying to do from a podcast perspective. I guess I just did here, but like kind of making it a nice concise message.
0: Yeah. Well, my other question was how have you kind of looked around at the market in terms of uh, what kind of competition you'd have to me? It sounds like a great idea, right? Like you have a set of skills and podcasting is something that's just getting bigger and bigger and anybody can kind of do it right from their home. But not everybody has the skills to produce a podcast. So your skills from that perspective, I think would would be, you know, right for the picking. Right. It's a great time in the market for that. But I'm wondering, like, are there I just don't know, like, are there other companies that do this or like, is
1: there a lot of competition for something like this? There are companies that you can go ahead and sign up uh, and they'll edit your podcast. There's like some freelancers that do it. And since this is an easy gig to do online, your location doesn't really matter. With that being said, I did some research of what the market's like to try to figure out rates. And the nice thing I think about how I'm trying to orchestrate this is that you're hiring me, uh, a podcast junkie, right? Like I live and breathe this stuff. I do a lot of listening to podcasts from less produced to more produced shows. Like the one client I'm working with right now, I've been, whenever I edit a show, I give him suggestions on how to improve because he's trying some new things as well. And I'm like, I think you could do this a little bit better or like try doing this next time and trying to help him with his production. And that's just, I think from listening to podcasts for 10 years now, which is actually kind of crazy to think about. I didn't, I hadn't realized it, but I've been listening to podcasts since you were loaded up on an iPod, like <laughs> old school. <laughs> No streaming. You know, you plug in your iPod every night to get the new <laughs> podcast from the day before. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time of me listening to podcasts. And I just think I have the skills to edit them. I have a network of people that do podcasts that might be looking for an editor to get the to, to burden off of them. And I think it's time for me to try to leverage that rather than just sit idly. Now that I'm wrapping up grad school, it's something I can look into doing. I'm trying to limit my hours right now. So I'm actually, that's part of the reason I'm not pushing it too hard is because I can't take on too much work right now to also just be sane (laughs) with everything else going on. But I think it's nice. I'm making the infrastructure now so that when I am ready to like really launch harder in June where I could take more clients and be a little bit more serious, everything's set up and ready. I've got cards, I've got everything and I can be really full steam ahead and professional. Man, that's awesome. I don't know if it'll ever be my full gig, though, because, like, it doesn't pay as well. (laughs) My one buddy, though, he was saying, like, you know, you could, if you really start doing this and being a podcast guru, you could sell coaching services and charge a really high rate. I was like, yeah, I guess that is a thing I could do. I can't imagine that being a full-time job, though.
0: Well, you never know. So you want to be an overanalyzed first official sponsor?